Farman was located, at last, in the chamber of the painted table, a longsword clutched in his grasp. He made no attempt to deny the poisonings. Instead, he boasted, I brought them cups of wine and they drank. They thanked me and they drank. Why not? A cupbearer, a serving man, that's how they saw me. Andro the sweet, Andro the jape. What could I do but fall off the dragon? Well, I could have done a lot of things. I could have been a lord. I could have made laws and been wise and given you counsel. I could have killed your enemies as easily as I killed your friends. I could have given you children. Andrew Farman committed a terrible crime and became a mass murderer in 54 AC on the Targaryen home of Dragonstone. During the reign of King Jaehaerys I and Queen Alysanne, Andro systematically poisoned four women and the maester on the island, saving his wife Raina Targaryen for last. This kind of horror movie plot is not the kind of thing people generally associate with A Song of Ice and Fire. Most of the time the assassinations and mass deaths are the result of political or military goals being furthered. Andro, however, killed brutally out of vengeance in a way that can only be seen as vindictive. The unasked question though in the strategy is how did the simple Andro pull off this killing spree at all? Did he have help? And if he did, why would you help Andro Farman murder people? So a little background on these murders, Andro Farman was the husband, in name only, of Reyna Targaryen, older sister to King Jaehaerys I and his wife Queen Alysanne. Reyna was known as the Queen in the West. Reyna had known Andro and House Farman of Fair Isle for many years, going back to when Lord Farman sheltered Reyna from the wrath of her uncle King Magor the Cruel. Shortly after her baby brother Jaehaerys' coronation in Old Town, Reyna flew north with all haste, and with little explanation married Andro in a secret ceremony. When asked why she did this, Reyna replied that Andro was kind to her, and left it at that. The open secret of their relationship was that Reyna actually had very little interest in Andro, despite their marriage. It's suggested in the text that they never actually consummated their marriage. The truth was, Reyna was actually in love with Andro's sister, Alyssa Farman. Due to prejudice and Westeros against homosexual relationships, Reyna married Andro while carrying on an open secret with Alyssa, among others. Over the years of their unhappy marriage, Andro became angered as he was treated by Reyna and her court of friends and lovers as little more than a servant or a jester. He had no say in any decision, was openly embarrassed and laughed at. These grudges festered, and Andro went from angry to murderous, coming to a head in 54 AC after his sister Alyssa disappeared into the east with three precious dragon eggs. Following Alyssa's theft, Reyna and Andro's relationship broke down entirely, with many screaming matches and accusations about Andro's role in Alyssa's crime. Andro's murders required quite a lot of planning, knowledge, and subterfuge to pull off correctly. For instance, the first to die by poison was the elderly Maester Culliper. This is a highly intelligent move as it stops the most senior and knowledgeable person on the island from figuring out why so many were getting quote unquote sick around him. The junior maesters lacked the experience to recognize the illness as poison, and Andro's murder plot was allowed to move forward undisturbed. The catch is that this level of intelligence and planning from Andro seems at odds with his slow, dull mind that is often mentioned in Fire and Blood. Though he had been born upon an island and now lived upon another, Andro did not sail or swim or fish. A failed squire, he had no skill with sword, nor axe, nor spear, so when the men of the castle garrison trained each morning in the yard, he kept to his bed. 
Thinking that he might be of a bookish disposition, Maester Culliper tried to interest him in the treasures of Dragonstone's library, the ponderous tomes and old Valyrian scrolls that had fascinated King Jaehaerys, only to discover that the Queen's husband could not read. Andrew rode passably well, and from time to time would have a horse saddled so he might trot about the yard, but he never passed beyond the gates to explore the Dragonmont's rocky paths or the far side of the island, nor even the fishing village and the docks beneath the castle. The knights and men-at-arms pay him no mind whatsoever, and the servants obey him or not, as they please, with no fear of his displeasure. The children are the cruelest, as children often are, and none half so cruel as the princess Aria. She once emptied a chamber pot upon his head, not for anything he did, but because she was wroth with her mother. His characterization in the text casts major doubts on how he even pulled off these murders. It'd be like hearing Victorian Greyjoy won a game of Savas, Pate the Citadel novice became Archmaester, or Merit Frey wrote a mathematics textbook. You would be extremely suspicious at any of those stories, and you should feel much the same here. It appears that he must have had some help in planning his killing spree. It was expertly planned out from the strategy of who to poison, how to deliver it, and even which poison to use to not arouse suspicion. The murders bear a striking resemblance to Lysa Aaron poisoning her husband John Aaron as well. Lysa used the tears of Lys and acted at the urging of Peter Baelish. In that circumstance, Littlefinger exploited Lysa Aaron's feelings to turn her into an assassin. Tears, 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 she sobbed hysterically. No need for tears. But that's not what you said in King's Landing. You told me to put the tears in John's wine and I did. For Robert and for us. And I wrote Catelyn and told her the Lannisters had killed my lord husband, just as you said. That was so clever. You were always clever. I told father that. I said, Peter's so clever. He'll rise high, he will. He will. And he's sweet and gentle, and I have his little baby in my belly. Why did you kiss her? Why? We're together now. We're together after so long, so very long. Why would you want to kiss her? In addition, the choice of his poison and delivery methods were highly effective. Rather than using a poison like the Strangler, famously used on King Joffrey Barat, which kills almost instantly by choking, Andro chose a more slow-acting and harder-to-detect poison called the Tears of Lys. To the untrained eye, the Tears of Lys resembles a disease of the bowels and can easily seem like an outbreak rather than a murder. King Jaehaerys I appeared to believe this when the small council was alerted by the maesters remaining on Dragonstone of the disease, and he ordered Dragonstone quarantined by warships, and the gates shut until the disease ran its course rather than allowing it to spread. It's also very important that Andro chose the Tears of Lys. The tears are a very, very rare and expensive poison made by the alchemists of Lys, normally reserved for professional murders that require no detection. The poison is odorless, colorless, and has no taste, so the target never even notices. These traits explain how Andro administered the poison. He was poisoning their wine glasses. Only some maesters can even recognize the effect of the poison as it is made in Essos primarily and is so rare that very few maesters carry any examples. Combined with the delay between ingestion and symptoms, his murders were expertly disguised. Even the faceless men would have been impressed. Maester Pycelle famously recognizes the tears were used on John Aaron because of his mastery on poisons and lets the hand of the king die rather than help him. Tyrion tisked at him. I saw the tears of Lys among your potions, and you sent away Lord Aaron's own maester and tended him yourself so you could make certain that he died. 
Yes, he whimpered. Yes, Coloman was purging, so I sent him away. The queen needed Lord Arendad. She did not say so. Could not. Varys was listening. Always listening. But when I looked at her, I knew. It was not me who gave him the poison, though, I swear it. The old man wept. Maester Culliper on Dragonstone, though, did not recognize the poison in time. Before he succumbed to the poison, he had been trying to figure out which disease was afflicting the island. It was not the sweating sickness, nor the shaking sickness, nor grayscale, Maester Culliper pronounced. The first sign was a bloody stool, followed by a terrible cramping in the gut. There were a number of diseases that could be the cause, he told the queen. Which of those might be to blame, he never determined, for Culliper himself was the first to die, less than two days after he began to feel ill. What this tells us is that Culliper did not have any of the tears of Lys on the island, nor intimate knowledge of it like Pycelle did. Had he known the substance well, he or his junior maester would have recognized the symptoms and that it was missing from the stores. That none of the maesters on the island recognized the poison tells us that they likely did not have their own store on site. Seemingly everyone missed the clues that it was the tears of Lys, until curiously it fell to Jaehaerys I, master of coin, Lord Rago Draws of Pentos, to identify that the tears of Lys were being used rather than the sickness that Maester Culper thought. We know more of such things in the free cities, Draz assured him. It is the tears, never doubt it. The old maester would have seen it soon enough, so he had to die first. That is how I would do it. Not that I would. Poison is... dishonorable. We'll get back later to Lord Rego outlining the exact strategy that Andro used, but for now it's enough to say that Andro was given Tears of Lys rather than stealing it from Maester Culliper. Andro was also not personally wealthy enough to outright buy the poison, and it's unlikely that Reyna would lend him a huge amount of coin when she barely lets him make any decisions. Unlike someone like Littlefinger or Varys, who could acquire rare poisons via their information networks and contacts, Andro had no networks and few contacts. He was not well-liked, had few if any friends, wasn't clever, couldn't read or write, and wasn't adventurous or bold. And without the ability to compose or send his own letters, he also couldn't write for help. But someone knew of his grievance with Reyna, had a way to reach him on Dragonstone, and gave him a well-thought-out plan for revenge, and the poison to carry it out. What this tells us, that someone intelligent, wealthy, and connected had a bone to pick with Reyna Targaryen. In typical Andro style, though, it appears that he may have messed up the murders a little bit. Reyna ended up surviving the murders, but it is clear from this encounter that the attack was meant to hurt her emotionally before being killed last. You weep for her, Andro Farman said when he saw the tears on his wife's face. But would you weep for me? His words woke a fury in the queen. Lashing him across the face, Reyna commanded him to leave her, declaring that she wanted to be alone. You shall be, Andro said. She was the last of them. Seems likely that whoever sponsored Andro expected him to kill Reyna first after Maester Culliper, but he got wrapped up in his revenge. Had Lord Rigo not noticed the symptoms of the Tears of Lys and the message sent right away to Reyna, it's likely that Andro would have finished his killing spree with her. With all this in mind, Let's put on our classic Ned Stark detective hats and see if we can puzzle out who enabled Andro Farman and pushed him to murder. For this, we'll use the classic investigative technique, which we've all heard many times in TV and movies. Means, motive, opportunity. 
there are quite a lot of people with motive to hurt or try to kill Queen Reyna. Over her lifetime, Queen Reyna made many enemies, and that started even when she was young, with a loner streak and rudeness. As a little girl, she often hid behind her mother's skirt or clung to her father's leg in the presence of strangers. But she loved to feed the castle cats and always had a puppy or two in the bed. Though her mother provided her with a succession of suitable companions, the daughters of lords great and small, Raina never seemed to warm to any of them, preferring the company of a book. Her behavior softened slightly as she became an adult, yet she never really developed the graceful politicking and the gift of quick friendships that her younger sister, Alisane, excelled at. While Alisane charmed those around her into doing what she wanted, Raina preferred using the threat of her dragon Dreamfire or her sharp tongue to get her way. Very much a Rhaenys and Visenya situation. When she was young and married to her elder brother and heir to the Iron Throne Aegon, all seemed right in the world. However, the Faith of the Seven had enough of Targaryen incest and polygamy and felt that King Aenys I lacked the strength to oppose them. The Faith Militant revolted and Aegon and Rhaena were attacked while they were on their royal progress. They were forced to hide in Craighall Castle until the revolts died down. Reyna never forgot how the realm and the lords turned on them in the aftermath of their father's death. In addition, after her uncle Magor seized the Iron Throne, Reyna and Aegon attempted to push their claim in the field. The crown prince and his queen found little support outside the Westerlands, although Several great lords pledged their support if Aegon could just win a battle first. This forced Aegon the Young Crown, though, into a foolhardy charge to King's Landing. It ended brutally at Harrenhal, when Magor appeared on Balerion the Black Dread and killed Aegon and his dragon Quicksilver. Reyna held a grudge against those lords who pushed Aegon into battle for the rest of her life. And her last of her major grudges is maybe a surprising one, but it was towards her younger siblings. At this point in Westeros, it had not been established what the rule of successions really were for the Iron Throne, and some believed that daughters could be ruling monarchs over their male siblings. Reyna was the oldest living child of King Aenys over her younger brother Jaehaerys, and yet, when Maegor fell, it was Jaehaerys that was crowned king over her. Also, with the passage of time, Queen Reyna grew ever more resentful that her own claim to the Iron Throne and that of her daughters had been disregarded in favor of that of my baby brother, as she was wont to call Jaehaerys. She was the firstborn, she reminded those who would listen, and had been a dragon rider before any of her siblings. Yet, all of them, and even my own mother, had conspired to pass her over. While researching this, I noted that there are a seemingly endless amount of people with problems with Reyna, but most of them lack important parts of mean, motive, and opportunity, so I'm going to narrow the list down to the three best candidates who may have helped Andro get his revenge on his wife Reyna. The first suspects are the Lannisters of Casterly Rock. Although they did shelter Reyna and her husband when they had nowhere to go, protected her while she gave birth to her twin daughters, they also gave her lavish gifts and treatment, but expect that they would be rewarded someday for their kindness, perhaps with a marriage or a dragon egg for their trouble. They were king's ones, she reminded Sam Stokeworth. He smiles, but he was raised on tales of the Field of Fire. He will not have forgotten. Reyna Targaryen knew her history as well. The history of the Freehold of Valyria, writ in blood and fire. The Lannisters gambled big on Reyna, and it unfortunately did not pay off. When Chaharis was looking for counselors in key positions, the lords of the Westerlands and their vassals were largely left out conspicuously despite their power, armies, and piles of gold. 
Several of his advisors urged King Jaehaerys to appoint Lyman Lannister, supposedly the richest lord in Westeros, but Jaehaerys was disinclined. Unless Lord Lyman can find a mountain of gold under the Red Keep, I do not know that he has the answer we require. It could have been just a practicality that made Jaehaerys overlook the Westerlands for so long, but given how much of a problem Reyna was for Jaehaerys from the start, it seems closer he was aggressively ignoring the Lannisters, perhaps even punishing them for harboring Reyna. And this is especially strange considering the Lannisters were one of the first great houses to rally Jaehaerys' cause against Maegor, and you'd expect the new young king would reward them somehow. Instead, they got nothing. It's hard to imagine the Lannisters didn't notice that, that they were snubbed following their support of the Queen in the West. Perhaps ridding Jaehaerys of his troublesome older sister and paying their debt back to her could be a well-calculated move. The Lannisters always pay their debts, and they feel that Reyna owes them a big one. While the Lannisters have motive, they are lacking, unfortunately, in opportunity. They are certainly wealthy enough to afford the tears of Lys, but lack the ability to contact Andro. Casterly Rock is on the other side of Westeros from Dragonstone, and during this time, they had little to no presence in King's Landing. Any letters were out because anything sent to Andro would have to be read to him, which would give away any kind of assassination plot. The only connection the Lannisters had to Andro was his older brother, now Lord Franklin Farman of Fair Isle in the Westerlands. Franklin hated Reyna with a passion after how she left Fair Isle and treated him like a vassal. Oblivious to their mood, his lordship attempted to seize his sister, whereupon the onlookers rushed forward, overwhelming his men before they could draw their blades. Three of them were shoved off the docks into the water, whilst Lord Franklin himself was thrown into a ship's hold full of fresh-caught cod. Elisa Farman and the rest of the Queen's friends boarded Maiden's Fancy untouched and set sail for Lannisport. There's certainly a slim possibility that Franklin arrived on Dragonstone with the tears and convinced his younger brother Andrew to go on a killing spree, but it's extremely tenuous. How would they even know that Andro would be receptive? It's a long, dangerous trip across Westeros by land or sea. While there is significant motive for the Lannisters and Farmans to take revenge on Reyna, and possibly the means, there's very little opportunity here. And with that, we move on to our second suspect, Lord Rogar Baratheon. As I mentioned before, Reyna held grudges against those who had withheld their aid from her first husband, Aegon. She never forgot that her husband died because lords like Rogar made their support contingent on a first victory. And she certainly noticed that Rogar forgot the stipulation and was more than happy to support another untested Targaryen against Maegor the Cruel, Reyna's 14-year-old quote-unquote baby brother, Jaehaerys. Rogar also led the campaign about why Reyna couldn't rule Westeros. Her sex told against her, however. This is not Dorne, Lord Rogar Baratheon said when the notion was put to him. And Reyna is not Nymeria. It's fair to say the two were not fans of each other. Tensions only grew when Jaehaerys was crowned king in Old Town with Reyna in attendance. Directly afterwards, she took flight on her dragon Dreamfire to Fair Isle and got married in a secret ceremony to Andro Farman, which enraged the soon-to-be-named Hand of the King, Rogar Baratheon. It's clear that in the ascension of Jaehaerys to king, Rogar felt his support, much like Lyman Lannister, deserved a reward in the form of a royal marriage. At the time, Reyna was twice a widow between Aegon and her uncle Maegor, but still only 25 years old, beautiful, and a dragon rider to boot. Rogar was a 
widower and did eventually marry Reyna's mother, Dowager Queen Alyssa. In the text, it's implied that Rogar was furious because he wanted his younger brothers to marry Reyna to secure the Targaryen Baratheon alliance. However, it is certainly possible that Rogar wanted the Queen in the West for himself. Reyna instead declared loudly with her marriage that she would not live her life asking for Jaehaerys nor Rogar Baratheon's permission. To make her point plain, she also refused to attend the wedding between Rogar and her mother Alyssa. Tensions built as Lord Rogar attempted to kidnap her daughters in order to use them against Jaehaerys. The major breaking point came shortly before Andrew Farman's murder on Dragonstone, though. Queen Alyssa was pregnant with her second child by Lord Rogar, but it became clear that Alyssa would not survive the birth. To make it worse, the maester feared that she would take the infant with her to the grave. Rogar sent the news to Jaehaerys and Alysanne, but not to Reyna. It's noted that Andro offered to accompany Reyna once she heard of her mother's health, but she refused him in a loud argument and was quoted as yelling, The wrong Farman ran away. Referencing that Alyssa Farman, Reyna's great love, had recently ran off with the three dragon eggs and left her with the husband she didn't want. Back to Storm's End though, King Jaehaerys had a terrible choice. The maester told him that Alyssa would surely die, but there was hope for the baby if they cut it out of her. The operation though, would kill Alyssa. Jaehaerys found himself unable to choose and put it to the drunk Rogar to decide what would happen to his wife. The king said only, The woman is my mother and a queen, in a heavy tone. He stepped outside again, pulled Rogar Baratheon to his feet, and dragged him back into the birthing chamber where he bade the maester repeat what he had just said. She is your wife, King Jaehaerys reminded Lord Rogar. It is for you to say the words. Lord Rogar, we are told, could not bear to look upon his wife. Nor could he find the words until the king took him roughly by the arm and shook him. Save my son, Rogar told the maester. Then he wrenched free and fled the room again. Maester Kiri bowed his head and sent for his blades. The child was saved, but Alyssa died. Reyna arrived in a rage that started with Andro and only heightened when she learned that Alyssa was dead and that Rogar was the cause of it after seeing the wounds the maester's knives left. Her tirade in Storm's End was nothing short of fire and blood. Where is Rogar? she asked. She found him below in his great hall with his young son Boromund in his lap, surrounded by his brothers and his knights. Reyna Targaryen pushed through all of them to stand over him and began to curse him to his face. Her blood is on your hands, she raged at him. Her blood is on your cock. May you die screaming. Rogar Baratheon was outraged by her accusations. What are you saying, woman? This is the will of the gods. The stranger comes for all of us. How could it be my doing? What did I do? You put your cock in her. She gave you one son. That should have been enough. Save my wife, you should have said. But what are wives to men like you? Reyna reached out and grabbed his beard and pulled his face to hers. Hear this, my lord. Do not think to wed again. Take care of the whelps my mother gave you, my half-brother and half-sister. See that they want for nothing. Do that, and I will let you be. If I should hear even a whisper of your taking some other poor maid to wife, I will make another Heron Hall of Storm's End, with you and her inside it. Not many people would react kindly to a Targaryen threatening to burn down their home around them, kill their entire family, and roast them inside. And certainly not the hot-blooded Rogar 
who was a typical Baratheon warrior by heart. Rogar once ordered his men to separate the newlyweds Jaehaerys and Alysanne at sword point because he disapproved of their marriage. According to rumors, he also sent women to Dragonstone specifically to seduce Jaehaerys into abandoning their marriage with sexual temptations. He hated being defeated and embarrassed, especially by those he deemed lesser than himself. A proud man. He had been stunned and angered by the ingratitude of the boy king he had regarded as a son, and humiliated when forced to back down at the gates of Dragonstone before half a hundred of his men. A warrior to the bone, Rogar had once dreamed of facing Magor the Cruel in single combat, and could not stomach being shamed by a lad of fifteen years. Rogar had been shamed in his own halls by Reyna Targaryen, berated and blamed for the death of his wife by a woman he loathed. He would want revenge, to punish Reyna for the insults and threats his entire castle and soon the realm would hear. That is certainly motive enough after years of tension, and Rogar had the means to pull it off. Prior to this incident, Lord Rogar served as Hand of the King. He was also married into the royal family, and he was Lord of the Stormlands and all of its incomes. He could definitely afford to buy the tears of Lys. And his time as Hand of the King would assuredly put him in contact with the kind of people that could acquire the poison discreetly, as well as give him knowledge of smugglers around Blackwater Bay who could reach Dragonstone, and the underworld types that could get in touch with Andrew Farman. Rogar even has a pass of attempting sabotage on Dragonstone. As I mentioned, the rumors in Fire and Blood say that the Baratheons sent a woman named Corianne Wilde to seduce and bed the newlywed King Jaehaerys. While that attempt failed, Corian ended up fleeing the island with a young knight named Sir Howard Bullock to Pentos. Sir Howard's father, Sir Merrill Bullock, remained the commander of the garrison at Dragonstone for years afterwards and certainly knew Andro Farman. Sir Merrill was dismissed from his position in the wake of Alyssa Farman's dragon egg theft shortly before the murders. Reyna blamed Andro for helping his sister, but when that got her nowhere, she turned on Sir Merrill who she deemed either too incompetent to stop the theft or was in on it. An angry garrison commander could surely find his way back into the island if he needed to. It's possible Lord Rogar made connections with the Bullocks through Corian, and after Reyna humiliated both Sir Merrill and Lord Rogar in quick succession, Rogar may have found a way of connecting with the former garrison commander and exploited his anger at Reyna. It's important to note that Sir Merrill's other son, Sir Alan, still served on Dragonstone after his father was dismissed. There may even be hints that Andro was friendly with the Bullocks. After Sir Merrill's dismissal, Andro curiously requested of his wife that he be named Garrison Commander, which did not go over well. When the Queen dismissed Sir Merrill Bullock, Andro had asked her to appoint him Commander of the Castle Garrison in Bullock's place. Her Grace had been breaking her fast with four of her ladies-in-waiting at the time. The women burst into laughter at his request, and after a moment, the Queen had laughed as well. Andro showed no ambition in his life, nor joy or skill in anything. Yet he suddenly volunteered to be the commander of the garrison with no background or skills to do so. He may have gotten to known the Bullocks during their time on Dragonstone a little, and maybe after hearing their stories, felt he could do the job. Maester Culper recorded that Farman had few if any friends outside of his sister Alyssa, but perhaps he missed these. It's also intriguing that Andro requests to go with Reyna twice following the theft of the eggs. The first is on her journey to King's Lang to tell Jaehaerys about the stolen eggs, which Reyna rejects out of hand, and second, the storm's end with her for Alyssa. But it was the storm's end journey that Andro uncharacteristically got into a screaming argument with Reyna. He may have been acting in solidarity in Reyna's time of need, but 
knowing how shortly after he begins his murder spree, we have to take these requests in a different light. He wanted to go to King's Landing, but he desperately wanted to go to Storm's End. Perhaps at this time, Rogar was already in contact with Andro. The point of contact between Andro and Rogar is a bit uncertain. However, in all other aspects, the Lord of Storm's End seems like a perfect candidate. While he does pride himself on being a warrior, in the past, Rogar has proved himself a willing user of subterfuge, not only reportedly employing Corianne Wild, but he previously had his men attempt to kidnap both of Reyna's daughters to use them to overthrow Jaehaerys. Rogar has very good reasons for wanting Rena dead and revenge on her following her threats after Alyssa's death. The main downside though is that Rogar would probably want to drive his axe into her skull personally and let all know what happens when you challenge the Storm Lord. Overall though, Rogar ticks all the boxes and seems a very likely suspect for aiding Andrew Farman in his murders. And we move on to our third suspect, and this is a very sly one. One that George hidden details in unsaid tensions and that is Reyna's younger brother, Jaehaerys. Wait, I hear you thinking, Jaehaerys the Conciliator? A Kinslayer? A murderer? How could he, in a million years, be behind a monster like Andrew Farman? Or even a member of his court? Well, to answer that, let's first turn back to that curious quote by Jaehaerys' maester of coin, Rego Draz. We know more of such things in the free cities, Draz assured him. It is the tears, never doubt it. The old maester would have seen it soon enough, so he had to die first. That is how I would do it. Not that I would. Poison is... dishonorable. Perhaps after recognizing that it was poison, anyone would have put together Andro's strategy, but we have here Rago being the one to say out loud the exact strategy that Andro employed. Kill the old maester first, because he will figure out eventually you're using the tears of Lys, and then you can kill the rest of the targets while the young maester flounders. Maybe a lucky guess, but no one else caught on to Farman's murders until Rego. In addition, we learn in Fire and Blood that Rego Draz is the pseudo-spy master of King Jaehaerys. Later, when Reyna's daughter Rhea flies away on Balerion the Black Dread, it is Rego who has a spy network the Crown uses to try and find her. Benefer, acting through the Pintoshi Master of Coin, who had agents in every port, reached out across the narrow sea as the king had commanded. Paying good coin to bad men, in the words of Rego Draz, for any news of dragon eggs, dragons, or Alyssa Farman. A small host of whisperers, informers, courtiers, and courtesans produced hundreds of reports, a score of which proved to be of value to the Iron Throne for other reasons. But every rumor of the dragon eggs proved worthless. Rego is also well aware of the poison, has the money to buy it, has connections back to Essos that could procure it for him discreetly, and even an underworld network that could make the murders possible. And what works for Rogar with Meryl Bullock works just as well for Rego, maybe even better. Jaehaerys spent a large amount of time on Dragonstone with Alysanne, and knew most of the garrison and servants extremely well. There are stories of the young king sparring with them, and they even defended the young monarch against Lord Rogar's previously mentioned incursion to separate the couple. A suddenly dismissed Dragonstone commander is exactly the kind of person that will be looking for new friends and employers, which the Master of Coin and King can provide. It's also noted that Rego has eyes in every port, which should include Dragonstone. If you want to work out a strategic murder on Dragonstone, Rego Draz is the first man you would ask. 
and there's even a second possibility among Jaehaerys' small council. One of his lesser-known members is Master of Laws Lord Albin Massey. While Lord Albin is rarely thought of, he's intriguing as someone who could have assisted Andro. Before his appointment, Massey had been training as a maester of the Citadel for three years until his father and older brothers died. Maester's training typically involves some knowledge of poison. There's also two curious quotes from Lord Massey. First is his response to the crisis of the Faith of the Seven. Jaehaerys' chosen High Septon who enshrined in the faith that Jaehaerys Woods allowed to marry his sister had died. And to make it worse, the troublesome Septon Matthias seemed poised to become the new High Septon, undo his predecessor's decrees, and restart the faith militant's war on the dragons. While Rego Draz suggests just buying off the voters in the faith, Massey offers the bloodier suggestion. Albin Massey, the bent-backed master of laws, wondered if Septon Matthias might suffer the same fate as the High Septon who had made such trouble for Aenys and Magor. A sudden, mysterious death. Jaehaerys reportedly rejected the suggestion, however it is interesting that Massey put it forwards, and I'm sure the young king didn't forget that about his master of laws. Curiously, following the murders on Dragonstone, Hand of the King Daemon Valarion quits his position, and Jaehaerys considers Massey of all his counselors his new hand, but Massey turns him down. Lord Albin, with his limp and twisted back, would strike the ignorant as somehow sinister. They look at me and see a villain, Massey himself told the king. I can serve you better from the shadows. A man who works in the shadows and suggests assassinations would certainly fit the bill of who he would task with eliminating Rain, and it appears that Jaehaerys wanted to reward him for something in the wake of the deaths. But this really gets down to the heart of the issue. Whether he could, why would Jaehaerys want Rain a debt? Unlike with Lord Rogar, the problems between the siblings are much harder to spot because of the way Fire and Blood is, is written in Jaehaerys' favor. The author of the book, the fictional maester, very much approves of Jaehaerys and paints him in the best light at all times. There's very little on the surface of the animosity between Reyna and Jaehaerys, but if you look closely, their actions and few recorded conversations tell a very different tale, one that almost sounds like Tyrion and Cersei. From the beginning of Jaehaerys the first reign at 14, he had a massive shadow over him in the shape of Reyna and Dreamfire. There was no great council setting aside female claimants at this time. Those would be enacted by Jaehaerys himself near the end of his life. It wasn't clear at all that Jaehaerys had a better claim outside of Lord Rogar Baratheon's army saying so, and there were those who thought Reyna should have been crowned, herself included. She was no Magor the Cruel, but her presence in the realm and her claim was a threat to Jaehaerys' new one. Every lord who grew annoyed with Jaehaerys had the convenient option of courting Reyna or her daughters and using them as weapons against the Iron Throne. These tensions only increased when Reyna immediately married without permission Andro Farman. This act showed up Jaehaerys' authority, which he desperately needed as a newly crowned teenage king. Her marriage also deprived him as an important tool in solidifying his rule by taking a marriage to Reyna off the political table. When people began calling her the Queen in the West, she refused to show up for her mother's wedding, and she took up with the Lannisters and their gold. It's not hard to see how Jaehaerys may have been anxious about the intentions of his older sister. Also, it's never addressed in the book, but Jaehaerys marrying Reyna himself was a very good option for joining their competing claims. Even Magor the Cruel saw the wisdom in that when he forced Reyna to marry him. 
That it never came up may signal that Reyna's marriage to Andro wasn't only to spurn the Baratheon attempts to marry her, but possibly her own brother in the wake of his crowning. By marrying Andro, Reyna ensured that the civil war remained an option. Reyna also refused to bend the knee to the new king like the rest of her family did. She continued to act as a queen outside of Jaehaerys' authority to rule or control. When Reyna finally wore out her welcome in the Westernlands and Riverlands, she returned the king's landing for the marriage of Jaehaerys and Alysanne. But Reyna did not return looking to congratulate her siblings, but instead to bargain with who she called her baby brother. It is Dreamfire who excites them. Some fear her, more want her, and it is those who trouble me most. They lust for dragons of their own. That I will not give them, but where am I to go? Here, the king suggested, return to court, and live forever in your shadow? I need a seat of my own, a place where no lord may threaten me, banish me, or trouble those I have taken under my protection. I need lands, men, a castle. We can find you lands, the king said. Build you a castle. All the lands are taken, all the castles occupied, Rainer replied. But there is one I have a claim to. A better claim than your own, brother. I am the blood of the dragon. I want my father's seat, the place where I was born. I want Dragonstone. Jaehaerys did not immediately agree to Rainer's demands. It seems like a non-issue to us, though. Dragonstone is a worthless rock with no income or food, as Stannis famously bemoans. In Rhaena's time, though, this was very different. Dragonstone had one enormous resource that existed nowhere else. Dragons. Almost all the Targaryen dragons, including Balerion, and the caches of eggs were on Dragonstone. The king would hand Rhaena the greatest source of Targaryen dominance and power, and the tools to overthrow him. Which is why he drove a hard bargain in response. But. You shall hold the island and the castle by my gift, not by right. Our grandsire made seven kingdoms into one with fire and blood. I cannot and will not make them two by carving you off a separate kingdom of your own. You are a queen by courtesy, but I am king, and my writ runs from Old Town to the Wall, and on Dragonstone as well. Are we of one mind on this, sister? Are you so uncertain of that iron seat that you must needs have your own blood bend the knee to you, brother? Reyna threw back at him. So be it. Give me Dragonstone and one thing more, and I shall trouble you no further. The king and queen reached an uneasy peace that Reyna agreed to recognize Jaehaerys finally as her king in exchange for Dragonstone, its dragons, as well as her daughter, Araya. Jaehaerys had no children at the time, so Araya was the heir to the Iron Throne and treated as such. Jaehaerys was taking a massive risk in this deal, giving Reyna all she would need to declare herself Queen of the Seven Kingdoms, with an heir and the dragons to burn out the Iron Throne if she wanted to. A risk that Jaehaerys came to regret. When Alyssa Farman stole the dragon eggs from Reyna and fled across the narrow sea, Reyna was furious and paranoid at the betrayal. Jaehaerys, though, was on a whole nother level of anger and concern at the theft. When she arrived in King's Landing, the king was furious at her and personally blamed her for the loss of the eggs. What do you mean to do? His sister Reyna asked him. What I must. What you must. Do not think to wash your hands of this, sweet sister. You wanted Dragonstone, and I gave it to you. And you brought this woman there. This thief. He wasn't just angry because it makes the Targaryens look foolish to have their eggs stolen, but any of the Valyrian colonies got their dragons back, the Targaryen foothold on Westeros would be over, and the Valyrian freehold would rise again. 
Grand Maester Benefer said, You are speaking of waging war across the narrow sea, your grace. The costs must needs be borne. I will not allow Valyria to rise again. Imagine what the Triarchs of Atlantis would do with dragons. Let us pray it never comes to that. With that, his grace ended the audience, cautioning the others. Reyna had not only broken the deal they had made by allowing their most valuable resources to be stole by her estranged lover, possibly set their future on fire by committing them to an intercontinental war against whoever bought the eggs from Alyssa Farman. Reyna had failed their family and the Iron Throne in a truly monumental way. She had gone from a possible problem and rival to an enormous liability for the throne. It may have been Reyna's behavior at Storm's End that was the last straw. While we cheer Reyna for grabbing the pompous Rogar by his beard and screaming righteous fury in his face, Jaehaerys had to deal with that fallout. Rogar had already several times plotted to take Jaehaerys off the throne and was a tenuous ally by blood at best. Reyna had taken that tenuous relationship and lit it on fire with the king still in the castle. That screaming match in Storm's End could have started the schism that led to the downfall of the Targaryens. If the dragon eggs hatched and a Valyrian colony came for the Targaryens, Jaehaerys may wonder which side Lord Rogar would be on. And on top of this, Reyna's daughter Arya was furious that she had to live on Dragonstone with her mother. Reyna had given her up years ago for her safety, but the two barely knew each other. Also going from King's Landing to Dragonstone is a huge bummer for a kid who had a million friends and endless fun times and suddenly found herself with zero of both. The mother and daughter often fought, with Arya wishing to return home to King's Landing and Reyna staunchly denying her. Of Reyna's daughters, Arya was the adventurous, brave, and strong-willed one, which is the exact wrong person you want to grow up angry with a recognized clan. At the time of Andrew Farman's murders, Jaehaerys had more reasons than anyone to want his sister out of the picture. Her very existence threatened his rule. She had taken the heir to the Iron Throne as well as his source of power in the dragons, and then lost that power to the free cities over a lover's squabble. She threatened to murder one of the great lords in their own castle. She was turning the defiant heir angry and bitter through poor parenting. Reyna was sowing chaos everywhere she went for a king who wanted the exact opposite. Perhaps the now queen in the east was a liability that Jaehaerys could not afford anymore. Maybe he inquired his masters of coin and laws how they would go about removing her from the board, much in the same way they pondered how to deal with Septon Matthias or Septon Moon. There's an odd pattern in Jaehaerys' rise to power where people inconvenient for him end up dead in mysterious circumstances. Perhaps it was wiser to remove Reyna before she toppled Jaehaerys' reign, and in Andrew Farman, the counselors found a willing and angry participant, much in the same way that Littlefinger pushed Lysa Aaron from anger to murder. That would be Jaehaerys' way of dealing with it. He preferred soft power and subtlety compared to his predecessor, Magor the Cruel. Magor would have just showed up and chopped her head off. One final curiosity of this whole tale is in the wake of Andrew Farman's murders is that the Hand of the King, Daemon Valarion, abruptly quit his post. It's implied that he was upset that his niece, Lyanna Valarion, was trapped on the island by the quarantine and eventually killed by Andro. But what if the Hand knew or found out that the King had helped Andrew Farman? Maybe he would quit in protest like Ned Stark did after King Robert ordered the poisoning of Daenerys Targaryen. Or perhaps Daemon found himself ashamed that the poison meant for Reyna alone instead killed his own niece. 
Jahari says all the factors you would look for in somebody that would help Andro. Jahari's had the biggest motivations that were seemingly exploding before his eyes. Reyna had proven herself a major source of frustration and problems for the crown, which were only getting worse. Jahari's also had the means in acquiring the poison through Rego Draz and the crown's wealth. Between Rego Draz, Lord Massey, and Jahari's' own contacts on the island, it's very possible that they were able to deliver the Tears of Liss and instructions to Andro Farman on how to use it. And let's not forget that Jaharis' old sparring partner, Sir Merrill Bullock, was recently the garrison commander on Dragonstone and dismissed. Perhaps he reached out to his old friend. And it would certainly be a twist on Jaharis' character if the conciliator was plotting death for his own sister. So I ask you, dear audience, when Andrew Farman began tipping tears of lists into the goblets of Caselis Staunton, Septa Merriam, Elaine Royce, Liana Valarion, Samantha Stokeworth, and Maester Culper, who really was behind that poison? Who in the realm armed Andrew Farman with the perfect and expensive assassin's poison, as well as the plan on how to use it? Who wanted Raina Targaryen to drink deep and die screaming? Was it the spurned lions of Castle Rock finally come to pay their debts? The vengeful and threatened Stormlord Rogar Baratheon, who never forgets an insult and thirsts for Targaryen blood? Or was it Reyna's own blood and his minions, the king tired of Reyna playing at queen and risking their lives in future? Or was it somebody else I didn't cover? Click the poll to cast your vote for who you think enabled Andrew Fireman's killing spree on Dragonstone. Also let me know down in the comments and I'll see if you spotted an answer I missed. Almost all the quotes, mystery, and intrigue in this video are from George R. R. Martin's latest book, Fire and Blood. If you haven't found your way to picking it up, you're in luck. You can go today to audibletrial.com slash joemagician and start a one-month free trial and pick up Fire and Blood as your first free audiobook. That's audibletrial.com slash joemagician. Or if you really want to have the book and all the amazing art I used in this video in your hands, in the description of this video you can find a direct Amazon affiliate link for it. If you're interested in supporting the channel, Patreon, signing up for an Audible free trial, or using the Amazon affiliate links are great ways to directly support. Thank you very much for watching this video. If you liked it, make sure to subscribe, comment, share, hit that bell button for future notifications, and slam that like button. Also, thank you to Maddie Ray for reading the quotes for me on this video. You can find this talented podcaster and cosplayer on Twitter at Maddie K Ray for more great content. Also, I'd like to thank my patrons who support me and the growth of this channel. In particular, I'd like to thank my Grand Maesters, Stephen Stark, Grand Maester of Dragon Lore, Here Be Dragons, and Sue the Fury, Grand Mistress of Whispers, as well as my Archmaesters, Nessie the Questing Beast, Archmaester of Valyrian Tinfoil, Aaron M, Executive Assistant to the Slack, Brendan Beefish, Right Farter of the Fandom Truth, Casey D, Leathery Wings, Maester Mary, Nauticast, Lady Shar, Mother of Dragonflies, Sanrixian, Mother of Dragons, and Zombie Jesus. Andrew Farman. Andro. God damn it.